Hi everybody, uh, so my name is Amit Zak. I'm from the Center of uh, Law and Economics here in ETH Zurich. And today I have the pleasure to host Professor Jonathan Mayer from Princeton University. Uh, Professor Mayer works on the intersection between law and technology, has emphasis on sec national security law and on freedom of speech online. And today we're going to talk about one of his latest work, and that is adapting security warnings to counter online disinformation. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Jonathan, before we dive into the, uh, the paper, maybe you give us a bit of a, a short summary of your take of the paper. Sure. Um, so I should say at the outset, this was very much a team effort. And in particular, I want to acknowledge Ben Kaiser, who is the excellent PhD student who led the project. Um, we had a few goals for this particular paper. Uh, one was to advance the science of warnings about untrustworthy content online um, that might mislead folks. Uh, another was to contribute some new methods for understanding the effectiveness of different kinds of warnings about misinformation. Um, uh, very much an academic focus there, trying to just um, build out the toolkit for examining different designs. And then our third goal was to link the literature in information security around warnings, which goes back decades and is focused on building warnings for uh, spam or malware, phishing, those sorts of things. Uh, link that to the, the newer problem domain of online misinformation. Um, obviously, information security and online misinformation are very different topics in many respects. Um, but our, our hope was to try to translate some best practices. And the project uh, had two components. One was a pilot study where we um, had uh, some students uh, at Princeton um, uh, do a simulated online search task and gave them different kinds of warnings. Um, some were contextual, so a little bit of extra information about search results. And some were interstitial, where um, there was a page that interrupted the browsing experience and caused folks to reflect and make a decision about whether to continue to a search result. And what we found in that pilot study was the interstitial warnings um, very significantly changed uh, where folks chose to go to get information. And the contextual warnings had a much lesser effect. Um, and that was important in comparison to the prior literature because you know, at this point, there are literally hundreds of papers studying contextual warnings. The online platforms use contextual warnings all over the place. And um, there are many reasons to doubt the effectiveness of contextual warnings. And this seemed like a potential path forward, um, a different warning design that might be more effective and that had been proven more effective in the information security context. Um, so that was the, the first study in the paper. And the second study in the paper was a crowd worker study where we had a more sophisticated uh, simulated search task. Uh, we built an entire simulated search engine for crowd workers to interact with. Um, and, um, uh, and we looked at different designs for interstitial warnings. We had two theories of effect. One was these warnings might affect folks' behavior because they inform them about you know, some information might not be trustworthy, or they might be effective because they would spook folks. They would have a, a visual impression that conveyed a risk of harm. And th th those two theories of effect were based on the pilot study where folks had suggested those two theories of, uh, of effect. So we varied the warning designs, uh, identified warnings that um, could in particular convey information or a risk of harm, uh, and then looked at how that affected 
uh, the information sources people went to in the simulated search task. And um, the result was um, uh, sort of a mixed bag. <laughs> um, the uh, good news was interstitial warnings remained quite effective at guiding folks towards um, uh, sources of information that might be more trustworthy. The bad news was our theories of effect didn't seem to hold up. Um, um, and in particular, we could inform folks, right? So if we had an informative design, there was a, uh, an, an icon and text that explained what the warning was about. Um, folks understood that, but it didn't actually change their behavior much in comparison to um, having uh, a warning that was you know, bright red and had a warning icon and it was more about conveying uh, a risk of harm. And so that led us to hypothesize that it may be uh, friction that's causing this change in behavior. Um, that wasn't the theory of effect that um, you know, we designed the study to, uh, to get at, and so there's a need for more work on it. But at any rate, um, um, it, uh, it at minimum suggests a potential path forward for designing more effective warnings. There's much more in the study, but there's a quick sketch. So, Jonathan, my first question for you is, is you, you had this hypothesis inspired from, from the studies done in security, in security warnings. And I was wondering, to what extent do you think this is generalizable? So maybe we all have this common uh, idea of red means stop, and you can actually apply this to privacy law, to any type of communication you want to convey to the user. Yeah, so it's, it's very much the case that these choice architecture problems are showing up all over technology law and policy. Um, they're showing up in uh, misinformation uh, about how to effectively convey uh, to users that some information might not be credible or might be more credible. Um, showing up in privacy around how people choose um, what information to share, or whether to set cookies in their browser. Um, showing up in online shopping and the debate around dark patterns. So I think again and again we're seeing these problems that um, in many respects are about the structure of individual choice. Um, so another uh, question for you, I think I'll, I'll use my, my legal side of, of my brain here, and that is that some folks might argue that um, entities, private entities, will have a moral obligation or a legal obligation to have takedown orders and, and make more aggressive steps. It's their responsibility in some ways. Um, what, do you, what do you think of this type of statements? So our, our focus with this line of work has been to move towards a science of misinformation, in particular around responses to misinformation, and to understand the toolkit available to online services. We haven't taken a position on when they should use particular tools in the toolkit. So the idea is uh, an online service should, should know if they apply a particular kind of intervention. Here's what it's going to do to the dissemination of that particular kind of speech. Um, um, right? This kind of warning might have this kind of effect. This other kind of warning might have this kind of effect. Taking down a post might have this kind of effect. Um, making it more difficult to share a post might have this kind of effect. Um, and that would allow platforms to make a much more informed judgment about which kinds of interventions to apply. Um, but the question of when to apply interventions um, uh, is a very difficult one, and it's certainly not a technical question. We definitely don't have the right answers there, and it's one of the ways in which information security is just so different from the misinformation problem landscape. Right? I, don't, I don't think, for the most part, online services get in trouble when they knock down spam or phishing or malware content. Um, but what we're talking about here is potentially core political speech. So there's tremendous sensitivity, and um, we, we definitely don't, don't have the right answers for that. So I'll have a, a follow-up question to that. So maybe in some ways, uh, what you're saying is a bit naive, if I might say, because we know platforms 
already experiment with this type of things. They are aware of what is working and what is not working. The in, or in some ways, I think they are aware. And maybe the, the us folks there in research, we are the ones who need this type of knowledge. So my question is, in, in, in that sense, in what way do you think us as an academic community, we could promote this knowledge not having access to the same type of data the, the platform has? So it's not entirely clear how good of a handle the platforms have on the effects of different interventions. Um, there have been plenty of disclosures at this point from Facebook and Twitter, among other platforms, suggesting that some of the decision-making about which interventions to apply has an ad hoc quality to it. Um, so um, we think there is you know, something this work can bring to the platforms, and given the you know, interest platforms have had in the work, it, you know, they, they certainly seem interested in it. Beyond that, uh, part of the goal here is accountability that platforms, as you rightly note, already do this kind of thing. They do all sorts of um, uh, interventions, many of which are not readily visible. So for example, um, uh, uh, um, algorithmic deamplification or downranking content. Mm -hmm. And part of what we're hoping to achieve with this line of work is just move the conversation around misinformation interventions from where it often is today. Company announces, hey, we have this new kind of warning, or info box, or info hub, or pre-bunking, where they explain a concept before a user sees content, when there are lots of reasons to be skeptical these things work. Um, move the conversation from that to, let's talk about the things we all know you already do that probably are actually much more effective, but you don't like to talk about because they're much more controversial. And again, we don't have sort of definitive answers about how to deal with these really tricky issues of uh, speech about current events or politics, but our hope is that by advancing the science here, we can have a more mature conversation about what platforms do and when it's appropriate for them to do it. Okay, Jonathan, so let's talk a bit about the methods in this paper, because I think, uh, interestingly enough, you're, you're combining different types of experimental designs for lab and, and online surveys. So how do you see this work come together? Yeah, so one of our, our goals here very much was to advance methods around studying misinformation interventions. There are at this point quite literally hundreds of papers with a straightforward survey design where a user sees a simulated social media feed. And, you know, there's content in the, in the feed of various sorts. And then there's interventions in the simulated feed. Um, you know, a contextual warning very often, potentially you know, additional information or current events, that sort of thing. And then folks self-report in this online survey, um, do they believe content or would they share content, among other endpoints, but those two are the most common. And there are many reasons to doubt the external validity of those methods. You know, a, a simulated social media feed in an online survey is probably not particularly representative of how users actually interact with social media. It's not you know, the content they would actually follow. It's not content they would necessarily share otherwise. So, um, so those are limitations. Um, another reason we tried to come up with new methods here was the current set of methods just really limit what interventions you can test. Right? If you have a simulated social media feed that's just in a survey, you really can only do contextual warnings, info boxes, that sort of thing. You can't do um, um, much more than that because it's not a dynamic environment for, for the participant. And so that's what led us to coming up with a search task. Obviously, search is just one area where you might want to address 
misinformation. Um, social media, of course, is a really important area too. Um, but um, by coming up with a search task, we thought we could have um, participants engage in a way that enabled putting in place new kinds of interventions. Um, uh, moving forward, our group has um, uh, a project underway to test out some interventions in the real world. And um, our hope is similarly, that'll allow uh, testing interventions that you couldn't do with the conventional survey methods. Okay, uh, Jonathan, so before we conclude, I want to repeat a bit something that I asked uh, earlier and I think we didn't uh, fully explore yet. So one of the reasons you're moving between these methods is to try to get close to the real thing, right? What the platforms actually do. So in terms of policy making, some people in Europe are considering, of course, access or mandatory access uh, to um, um, researchers. So how do you see this uh, thing play out in the US context, for example? And in more general, I know you're trying to get away from some of the definitions of, of misinformation here, but still, what does your research contribute in terms of, of implications towards policy? Sure. Well, let me take that in two parts. Uh, with respect to platform data access, um, I think the jury's very much still out on what the Digital Services Act will do in Europe. Um, in particular, even if it functions well as an ability for researchers to understand how content is uh, flowing on online platforms. Um, it's not necessarily going to enable researchers to do intervention experiments of this type. And so um, it is far from clear that the new legal directions that will be available in Europe are going to meaningfully shift the methodological landscape for this particular kind of study. Um, in the US, um, you know, I used to work in Congress. I do not expect Congress to solve our methodological problems. So um, I, I wish I could be more optimistic there. And so, yeah, part of what, what we're doing with this line of work is trying every way we can to generate externally valid results that give you a good sense of how an intervention might play out on real online platforms, given that we don't have that access to the platforms to actually test out interventions. And so we're coming up with new task designs, we're coming up with interventions we can deploy with online platforms that you know, may not be the, the largest, um, but you know, are willing to collaborate. So we're trying every avenue we can. And I think that's you know, gonna be important for researchers to do going forward. And one of the reasons why linking information security to this problem domain is so important. Information security has a bunch of methods that enable doing realistic study that um, that could be brought to bear and could help address some of these methodological problems. Um, with respect to how to ensure that platform decisions about um, uh, how to address misinformation are, um, are justified, are sound, are consistent with you know, promoting free speech online, those are really, really hard questions. And I think one important area for more research is understanding how to um, be transparent at minimum about the decisions platforms are making um, and be transparent about the effects of those decisions. That's you know, ultimately maybe not you know, a, a deeply normatively satisfying answer. Um, you know, if, if anyone has a grand unified theory of, of, of free speech, I'm, I'm interested in hearing it. But at minimum, that's something researchers can bring to the table. Again, these are you know, th th these are not new problems, right? How, how to calibrate speech in um, public forums or things like public forums. Um, um, 
at least in the U.S., we've, we've wrestled with those problems for a long time. There have never been definitive answers. There are never going to be definitive answers for this. Um, but I think we can do it a lot better in a more informed way. And that's ultimately what this line of research is about. Thank you, Jonathan. So with maybe this optimistic view of, of the research uh, agenda here, yeah, I want to conclude our uh, talk today. So thank you very much for joining us. And uh, for our viewers at home, um, hope to see you in the next vlog. Thank you very much.